All right, time now for another edition of Bourbon, Biscuits, and Burn Burners. Chris Kerber, John Hadley, Tim Woodburn with you this week, and some great NHL topics to go over the week as we are within one week of the National Hockey League season starting. And, of course, our podcast, it's NHL-focused, but it is St. Louis Blues-centric as you're talking to three St. Louisans, so plenty of St. Louis Blues talk this week. I've got a spectacular, an absolutely spectacular bourbon to tell you about. I was given a bottle of this by Darren Pang. So a little later in the podcast, I'm going to tell you this one. And if you can get your hands on it, get your hands on it. And then we've got a ride in the bus barn burner of the week where Tim Woodburn's got another juicy one from uh, from some time in the minor leagues and just how we got to the point. So we got to John, Tim, how are you guys this week? I'm back. Anytime I get to talk hockey, I'm good. If you're not a Blues fan, do yourself a favor. Become one so that you can watch your team raise the cup this year. Man, I, I listen, I'm telling you that I I know the sexy pick and I understand why you look at Colorado and Vegas in the West. But if this Blues team stays healthy and from what I've seen in training camp, <laughs> flip a coin, boys, because this 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 Blues team is going to be pretty good. Now we know the Blues are going to be in the West Division. All right, so Tim, let's start off with this one. The line combinations for the St. Louis Blues that they've used throughout the first four days of camp, and we'll see if maybe this change is going into the second week, but I think this is the way that they want to see if this is going to work. So here are the primary lines for the St. Louis Blues. Robert Thomas at center with Jaden Schwartz on the left and Mike Hoffman on the right. Ryan O'Reilly at center, David Perron on the left, Braden Shen on the right. Tyler Bozak, flanked on the left by Sanford, on the right by Jordan Cairo, who, by the way, has changed his number to 25. And then the fourth line of Barbashev at center, Sunquist on the right, and Clifford in the middle. Your extras right now are Mackenzie McEachern, Jacob De La Rose, and Sammy Blay. When you think of those forward combinations, what do you think? Tim, go ahead. Well, I, I think Robert Thomas, who has been a pass-first guy, playing on a line with two guys that really like to shoot the puck and everybody wants to know where his improved goal production is going to come from and with his assist to goal ratio that he's had thus far in the NHL uh, I would say urge caution to the wind if he's not a prolific goal scorer this year if he sticks with those two guys because those are those are maybe the two best and you throw Perron in that category but from a sniper standpoint certainly two of the top three on the team, if not the top two. Yeah, and that's obviously with Vladimir Tarasenko being out. Now, I can tell you, having watched the scrimmage last night between the teams, there's going to be a little bit of growth curve while they try to figure it out because the last couple seasons, it's been Jaden Schwartz primarily playing with Braden Shen. So this is a new combination that may take some feeling out. But, Mike, I'm going to tell you right now, you could see the speed of Robert Thomas and the impact of the speed that you have with Schwartz and Thomas on that line as Mike Hoffman kind of gets used to it. But Tim, the other aspect of this that you and I were touching of, or we're kind of going back and forth on a couple of days ago was, and I know this is, under, we are not, we are not saying he's Adam Oates. We're not even saying he's Doug Gilmore. But when you look at the assist production of a young player growing into his role in the national hockey league, Robert Thomas's trajectory has been pretty doggone good. Well, it, it's been it's been very good. I mean, you know, there's, there's you can't really criticize it. You know, you and I had some fun banter 
in the last couple of games about about other young star centers that were related to the Blues organization who didn't really blossom until they're until they had a few years under their belt in the league. We brought up Gilmore. Uh, you know, he he doubled his single high point total in his fourth season when he had over 100 points. His, 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 I believe it was 56 was his previous career high, and it went to 106 from year three to year four. Adam Oates didn't score more than 54 points until his fourth year in the league. We're talking about a guy that had over 1,000 career assists in the Hall of Fame. So I realize a lot of it is when you're young, you play on the third line and the fourth line, you don't get a lot of power play time, which is where a lot of points come from. And then as you get that maturity under your belt, your point total starts to rise when the players that they surround you with and your power play time starts to elevate. You know, Robert Thomas playing with arguably two of the top three snipers on the team should significantly elevate his point total this year. And if they allow him significant power play time, that as well. John, what do you think of those line combinations? Well, I ask you to kindly repeat the third line for the St. Louis Blues. Right now, the line that they are looking at, or the way they've been going, has been Tyler Bozak in the middle, Zach Sanford on the left, and Jordan Cairo on the right. That line right there, based on previous conversations, has to be the one that might be most intriguing for conversation because I, I am of the belief that Zach Sanford is what he is, an extraordinarily inconsistent player who has natural God-given athleticism. The Cairo, a guy that a couple, I think, including both you and Tim, have referenced as being uh, uh, keep an eye on guy in regards to his continued growth uh, with this program. And just had a lengthy discussion with the hockey guy about Tyler Bozak and when Father Time is finally going to catch up with him. Frankly, I think that line is very intriguing and has incredible potential uh, because you not only have guys who can skate uh, and, a, and a veteran presence in Bozik, but you have guys who can conceivably score. And now, on the flip side, if you would kindly repeat the fourth line for us. That would be Ivan Barbashev in the middle with Oscar Sundquist on the right, who can play the middle, and Kyle Clifford on the left. Again, it's not the type of line that people are going to talk much about for the 50-plus regular season games, but come postseason, Curbs, I, I, I think I could probably sit down on paper and make a case for that being as good a fourth line as there is in the NHL. And we have seen time after time in the NHL playoffs a fourth line make a difference. So I brought that this That right up. there. I'm sorry. I was going to say that right there is another reason to believe that with the way that they've been able to construct this roster, they have provided themselves with ample depth and balance on these lines. And I'm just saying this potentially because Tarasenko is an X factor that can't be understated. But potentially, this group of forwards might be better than the ones that won Stanley Cup two years ago. Listen, I, I brought this up to, to Joe Vitale when we were doing a show live during the scrimmage. I mentioned that. I said, I, I, I think, like, pick a better fourth line in the National Hockey League than the one the St. Louis Blues had. And, and his argument pretty quickly was the fourth line involving Ryan Reeves with Las Vegas. And, and there's no doubt that that is deep. 
But the difference to me is you have Oscar Sundquist, who two years ago had 14 goals and 31 points. Last season in 57 games had 12 goals and 11 points. You have Oscar Sundquist. Or that, that was Oscar Sundquist. I'm sorry. You have Ivan Barbashev, right? And Ivan Barbashev has put back-to-back seasons together of 10 or more goals. You have a fourth line. I mean, and, and back-to-back 26-point seasons on top of that. You have a fourth line of essentially two 25 to 30 point guys to go along with Kyle Clifford. And if if that third line can find a way to be productive, John, and then the fourth line just does what we know it can do again, from a goal scoring standpoint, I agree with you this, like from a depth standpoint, this, it's not just like this team right now doesn't just have a couple of good lines and then a real solid checking line. They've got some good lines and not only is their last line a solid checking line, but it's a checking line that's going to be able to score on you. No doubt. Well, no you know, doubt. I, I'm, I'm perplexed by John's uh, lack of admiration for Zach Stanford. I mean, the guy was fourth on the team in goals last year. He was seventh in points. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's. I, I realize four of those goals came in one game, but I, you know, I didn't necessarily see him as inconsistent. I, I saw him as a guy that was blossoming. You know I mean? He's a big guy. It's his fourth year in the league. He, he's learning to hit more. He's learning to grind more, play in the, in the dark areas. I, I liked his game as the season progressed last year. The, the guy that, when you rattle off those four lines, the guy that I'm dismayed about is not listed there is Sammy Blay because there were games where he led the Blues in hits last year. And, and when I look at Stanford, Bozak, Cairo, I'm wondering who on that line is going to do the hitting. It's going to do the proximity because because Barbashev, Sunfist, and Clifford are all going to hit, and they're all on the same line. Uh, I, I'd be surprised to see those that third and fourth line stay like that very long because I think I think that third line needs a little sandpaper in it. Uh, maybe Clifford or Blay, regard uh, instead of what the three that you listed off the you know at the beginning of the podcast. They see there's obviously more at least proven already offensive upside with Zach Sanford. 30 points in 58 games last season. You know, it crossed the 15 point plateau with 16 with um, goal plateau with 16 goals, right? Sammy Blay, who only played in the 40 games last season, he only had the 13 points, but you are right. He is he is he's more of a banger and a hitter than anybody on that other line. The, for a while now, it's almost as if if Sanford doesn't go, they put Blay in that spot, and they've been looking for one of those two guys to take it. But what's very clear, the way they've done these lines, is the first opportunity to take that spot is Zach Sanford's. Yeah, and I don't completely disagree, Tim, with what you're saying about Sanford. I just need to see him play complete games. You know, this is a guy who at times has gone out. Blay, I don't see having true offensive upside. Sanford, you you can point to offense being the key. It's him currently being the starter on that line. But the fact of the matter is, we've seen him hit before. When When he finally got the chance to play again in the playoffs two years ago, he was he was all over the ice cutting for guys. This is this is a guy who's six three ish, over two hundred pounds, who at times is the easiest player on the ice to knock off the puck, and at other times is absolutely tenacious. I would just like to see more of the latter than the former 
Because now all of a sudden, you may not have the true Sammy Blade physicality, but you have a physical player who can also beat you by wrinkling the twine. And I'm telling you, Sanford is one of those guys who will either prove to be a coach killer in his career because you will be given too much leeway, too much opportunity, and fail to advance, or he will be a key to success because he has the combination and the ability. The question is, does he want to do it? It's, Sammy it's, Blay will hit you it, waking it's something up at Larry, o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's something Larry Plo you used to call putt grit. Uh, and and where I think you're right on this, uh, John, is is Sanford has the ability to snipe, and we saw a terrific goal when he went high glove on Billy Huso in the scrimmage last night. Okay, but part of the key to Craig Berube's forechecking game is you've got to be able to hold on to the puck below the goal line, and if there's not a play, be able to defend that puck and hold on to it until a play develops or your teammates get in there to help you out. So one area of improvement for Zach Sanford, without a doubt, is the added puck grit to not get knocked off the puck and to be able to hold on to it longer. He has the skill to do it. The team does want to see that on a more consistent basis. And that's that's what it comes down to, is that ultimately, I guess in a sense, when you just listen to the verbiage, it may sound as though I'm down on Sanford. It may sound that I'm negative with Sanford. But in reality, what I'm saying is, I think there's so much upside that I'm frustrated that he hasn't advanced further. And hopefully this will be the year that he puts it all together because how many guys have the potential to be a 15 to 20 goal scorer, uh, play on a third line and be physical. There's not too many in this league that can do that. Well, and the thing of those guys who might be able to. And the thing about Stanford, you know, everybody talked about Hoffman scoring 40% of his points on the power play for Florida last year. And I was like, on one of our earlier shows, I was like, you know, the, the, the only negative to him coming in is, is the, the lack of the ability to Stanford to blossom as a top six forward. You've already rattled off that he's not a top six forward as Ruby's rolled out the line. I was surprised when I researched this. He's only, he only had one power play point out of his 30 last year. You know, 15 of his 16 goals came at even strength. He doesn't rely on the power play for his productivity. And, and, and that's my favorite part about him is that, you know, he's 6'4". It's his fourth season. That's the blossom season. We talked about Gilmore and Oates and, you know, and all that. The, the blossom season for a lot of guys who aren't superstars, once they get that third year under their feet, like Vince Dunn was talking about how he just was living in the fantasy world his first year in the league, just happy to be here, you know, and then you get more mature and then you get more serious. You get that first big contract. This is his fourth year. It could be a big year for him. And if somebody gets hurt on the top six, I, I sincerely hope he's the one that they throw up there because, to get better, you have to play with better players. All right, moving on. All right. I told you, don't eat all that chili. Uh, that's exactly Is right. That, that's, that, that, means, that, means, that means we're moving on. I want to go to a broader NHL uh, thing that, that happened in, outside of St. Louis here and just get your guys' thoughts on the Boston Bruins and Zdeno Chara not being able to find uh, the working agreement they wanted in Zdeno Chara going to the Washington Capitals. Well, I, I, I'll tell you this much, you know, hockey's one of those sports that uh, that proves that old axioms have a purpose in life because with some of the some of the leadership and pure skill that the Bruins have lost on the back line, it's hard for me to believe that they're not going to steal it. 
I mean, it's just very hard for me to believe it. Now, they still have some guys back there. I mean, McAvoy is one of the best in the game. And then they have they, – they literally have five, six guys who can play the game. But, frankly, this is a defense that I think is definitely top-heavy. And, you know, McAvoy is going to have to take his game to the next, to the next level more so from a leadership standpoint than anything else, if this team's going to be able to survive. That's that's two really key losses. Dana Charlie, you can view him however you want at this stage of his career. He's still capable of being a difference maker. He still commands respect. And you lost Tory Krug, obviously, now with the Blues. That's that's pretty hardcore. That's pretty legit. You know, Dana Chara turned 44 in two months. Uh, Zidane Chara finished 19th in the Norris Trophy voting last year and played 21 minutes a game on the ice. And, and everybody respects him uh, and, and respects his leadership. I mean, the man has already talked about as running for president of uh, the Czech Republic when he retires. That's how popular he is back home. So you can imagine how popular he is in the locker room. I'm glad Zidane Chara is still in the league because he's the last guy in the league that I was still – calling hockey and riding buses with. I've known the guy since he was 19 years old. Nicest guy you'd ever want to meet off the ice. Prominent leader in the locker room. Everybody talks about losing, you know, losing locker room uh, character when, when certain guys leave teams. It's been talked about a lot about that with, uh, with Petrangelo and, and the, the different leadership that's going to now take place with the change in captain and just the overall change in, uh, in, in roster structure. But, you know, the Boston Bruins have younger guys. And it's like, okay, do we want to play a guy who's 44 and we know what he can do, or do we want to let one of our younger guys blossom who's not getting that ice time? And eventually that conversation has had about every player in hockey, not just the Daniel Chara. Well, I mean, shoot. The, uh, you know what? We can relate it to St. Louis fans tuning into this podcast. The St. Louis Cardinals are dealing with it right now with Yadier Molina. It might be almost the same exact situation. Well, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it depends on, you know, what kind of prospects you have behind Molina. I mean, you know, the, the Bruins have stated that they want to play their younger guy, let their let their younger guys blossom. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's sad. I, I think it's yeah. sad. You know, I, I, was, I was very moved by the Twitter video that Tara posted when he thanked the Bruins and their fans and talked about it being the best place he's ever lived and that no matter where he plays this year, He'll always be a Boston Bruin, and it was it was almost brought here to my eye. It was that good. So, like you, like you, Tim. Uh, you know, we were both doing games in the American League when Zdeno Chara started up, and when he walked past me onto the ice to skate for the Manchester Monarchs, I'm, I'll never forget the quote from a guy standing next to me. He didn't say who is that; he said, "What was that?" I mean, that was that's how big he was. You know, even way back in the, well, the, in the late nineties. Yeah. Six nine, and that's that's oh. flat footed. Throw three inches of skates and an inch of helmet on that, and but, he looks like Godzilla. Yeah, but he he will he does go down for me right now, especially during my time of covering the National Hockey League, is one of my all time favorites because he was as genuine off the and when look when he did his press conference with the Washington Capitals, when when Boston media would ask him a question, like he replied 
to with the to the media member by their name, which which shows you a level of respect. But the, and and you could tell the respect that the media had for him too. But the other thing is is as tough a situation as it must have been for him. I mean, he handled it so spectacularly well and classy and talking about Don Sweeney in Boston. Like, I mean, it's Zidane Ochara is a first ballot Hall of Famer. We all know that. But frankly, if Boston couldn't get it done, I'm glad he's still going to be in the National Hockey League because I still want to watch him play. All right. You guys ready for this one? Let me me just quickly make one more point. Because once you get past what I assume will be the top defensive pairing of Grizz and McElroy, Tell me any of those, and a number of more younger guys, but tell me tell me two more defensemen in their top six that you're comfortable carrying the puck. You lose Krug and Char, you lose guys who can carry the puck. That, that's, that, to me, is going to be what hits the Bruins toughest. So the, the question for the Boston Bruins is with the changes that they made, do they have to change their defensive identity and recreate that to be able to stay in a window of winning. And and that's frankly the, the question they're deciding on right now. All right. Well, they're, they're, Go they're, ahead. Their they're defensive roster is a list of non-household names to, to add on to what John said. I mean, he's got a great point. I mean, it's, it's guys you never heard of that are going to get a lot of playing time this year. Well, and, I, and Curb, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I like Carlo, but Carlo is not a puck-carrying defenseman. No, I mean, no, he's a good he's a good-sized defenseman. Now, now Brandon Carlo still has some – there's still some growth to his game, and that's that. Listen, that's one of those other things too that that's a part of this is we're in St. Louis. We're going to see what Colton Pareko does with some you know new ice time opportunities. It, it's going to be on guys like Brandon Carlo. I mean, Grizzlick has some growth to his game too, and if, and if they can bridge the gap, it's not it's not doom and gloom that they left. The toughest part for the Boston Bruins is the fact that it's Chara and Krug. It's both of right. those guys. I mean, I guess not too dissimilar than losing Bo Meester during a season and Petrangelo after, but uh, but Boston has to fill some pretty, uh, I guess you say pretty big skates. We know that with Char, but it, but but that that's some pretty big roles that um, uh, that that that's some pretty big roles that uh, that that are going to have to be filled there. Hey, I want to get into uh, I want to get into this one with you guys here, okay. Rankings are rankings, and rankings obviously just ah, sometimes they're fun. Sometimes you laugh at them. Okay, but two rankings we want to, we want to throw out here. Okay, first off, let's start with this one from NHL.com. NHL.com listed what they believe to be their top twenty centers in the National Hockey League. Their top twenty centers in the National Hockey League. Ryan O'Reilly is not in the top 10. All right. Now, he is listed 12th. He is listed 12th. So, in the last two years, a Conn Smythe, a Stanley Cup, a, uh, a, a Selkie, another Selkie finalist, right? And a Lady Bing finalist. Okay. Three minor penalties all season long last year. Three minor penalties for a guy averaging, you know, close to 20-something minutes a game, 20 minutes a game. All right. I'm gonna, what I want to do here is I'm going to rattle off the NHL's top 10 centers, and you guys tell me if you're taking Ryan or, or I'll even go to the top 11 since they ranked Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly 12th. We'll rattle no, they off ranked their, him 15th. I think they ranked him 15th. I'm looking at it now. They yeah, it's 15th. Yeah, 15th. Oh, 
I'm, I'm looking at one, guys. That I, actually, I've got this one on NHL.com that has him ranked as 10. Okay, so let's go. Let's, or I'm sorry, ranked ranked as 12. So let, let, let's go through this list and see where uh, see if you guys would take this player over Ryan O'Reilly. Or, better yet, like would you just make a straight-up trade? Ryan O'Reilly for this guy. All right, and let's see where we end up ranking Ryan O'Reilly. Okay, co- compared to the NHL.com rankings. All right, they're number one based on the list that I have uh, on, on their site here. And this was uh, actually, okay, hang on. I'm going to do an edit here. I got to find the, I got to find the other one here, guys. Cause. Uh, um, I can pull the names out if you want. Yeah. Why, why don't you, why don't you roll them out? Cause the one I pulled up was from August of 2019. Okay. okay. So let me, uh, let me hit a reset here. Let me hit a reset here and I'll just kind of reintroduce that segment. Okay. All right. All right. Hang on a second here. All right, guys, let's move on to some rankings here. Rankings can be fun. Rankings can be maddening. Rankings do what they're supposed to do. They're clickbait, and they get great debate. So um, two rankings we want to get into. One involves Colton Pareko. One involves Ryan O'Reilly. Let's start with Ryan O'Reilly. The latest from NHL.com in ranking their top 20 centers has Ryan O'Reilly listed 15th. 15th. A guy that has won a Conn Smythe, a Stanley Cup, a Selkie, been another Selkie finalist and a Lady Bank finalist again last year with only three minor penalties anchoring the St. Louis Blues, and he's now the captain of the St. Louis Blues. So, Tim Woodburn, let's go through their top 14, starting with number one, and determine whether or not we would take that player straight up for Ryan O'Reilly and where we would finish Ryan O'Reilly in the rankings and see if we're even close to having him in 15 or much closer in the top 10. Well, number one, no shock and surprise. The guy who's had at least 100 points in the last three years, that's Connor McDavid of Edmonton, who I would take straight up for Ryan O'Reilly okay. in a heartbeat. Right. I'm with you on that one. So, Connor McDavid, John, you there? Yeah. No, okay. I would definitely take McDavid at this point. All right. Number two. Number two. Number two, number two is Nathan McKinnon, who I would put as 1B behind McDavid as the best player in the NHL. Again, I'd take him straight up without question. Yep, with you there. Okay. Leon Dreisaitl, uh for Edmonton is number three. Obviously, he is a uh, benefactor of playing a ton of power play time with the number one player, Connor McDavid. Considering O'Reilly's leadership and all the other character stuff, uh, that one to me would be slim margin yes on dry title but but a borderline toss up there's definitely far more upside offensively to to dry title and they played him a lot on the wing obviously with mcdavid too and stuff but but i can i can i can justify ranking dry title ahead there i i would i would give it a push because as you mentioned basically they're looking to sort of stretch their lineup uh, putting dry title back at center so uh, let me see him go a full year uh, without McDavid. And, you know, I mean, there's no doubting his, his skill level, and he's won some major awards. So I'm going to say a push for the time being. All right. Number four. Right. Number four Number four is Sidney Crosby, who missed 28 games because of a core muscle injury, and he had to have surgery last year. And, and considering his health uh, and and – a little a, a tad long in the tooth. Uh, once again, I kind of put him in dry title country of a slim margin of yes over O'Reilly, but but a borderline push, a borderline toss up as well. So 
if if you're asking me today, do I trade Crosby for O'Reilly straight up? I'm not sure I make that trade right now because of the health issues and 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 the I, getting longer into tooth. Yep. Yeah, right. I will. I, I will put it to you this way: two things for Crosby. One, it'd be another push for me. But two, the most shocking thing to me in recently looking at Sidney Crosby and preparing my notes for the preseason. I got to tell you, boys, I, I really, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but for some reason I'm thinking that, that Crosby's 36, 37, 38 years old. I'm just thinking he's been around so long. I, I, I'm amazed that Sidney Crosby's just 33 years old because I can't remember too much about hockey without Sidney Crosby being a part of it. I mean, that's uh, with what he's accomplished in his only 33 years of age. I mean, Amazing, if, if somehow, some way, you know, yeah. I mean, if 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 he can find a second life with his body, I mean, he's still got he's still has a couple of years of potential to be a difference maker. Oh, oh, ab- absolutely! Like the, the injuries are are the part that gets to it now. It, that and the fact that again, we're talking about right now. So they're talking; these are the top centermen in the game. Okay, right. so and to me, the way I would define that is if you've got a guy you think is better, would you trade him straight up for that guy? And I, I again, Ryan O'Reilly at four years younger and less injury prone right now, I'm not making that trade. But but I it's, I can live with you guys on the push on that one. It's, it's Sidney Crosby's 16th year in the league, and, and I don't think if they rank him four, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him drop out of the top ten after this year, considering the guys that are right behind him that I think are going to move forward uh, in these rankings, including the guy right behind him, Austin Matthews from Toronto, who, next to McDavid, arguably, I think is the best five-on-five player in the NHL and the most exciting player with McKinnon and McDavid also in that that conversation. Matthews is uh, a fan favorite, and, uh, you know, as much as I love Ryan O'Reilly, I would take Austin Matthews in a heartbeat. Austin Matthews is a young kid who showed some life in postseason play last year. Um, I think the, I, I think Austin Matthews is a kid who I might have to take over O'Reilly. Um, now that noted, you know the other aspect of this conversation has to do with fit with this team, and I don't necessarily know that Austin Matthews fits with this. No, I don't think we can't do that. No, I, let's okay. not worry about fit right. with the team. Let's just say, like, the player that they are right now. Okay. Because I, I, otherwise, yeah, otherwise yeah, we start would, to throw would... in too many variables. You know, and, and the other the other variable to this conversation is, you know, clearly Toronto would not trade Austin Matthews for Ryan O'Reilly. No. Uh, and it's because of age. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's way younger. He's, he's a more prolific scorer. You don't know if he's maxed out or not. I think this conversation needs to have an attitude of would you trade O'Reilly for this guy on a, on a, on the premise of will he make the Blues a better Stanley Cup contender this year versus, you know, because you're looking at O'Reilly maybe playing another seven years and Matthews playing another 15 years. So, I mean, there has to be some type of, of sidebar here with regard to, you know, would you? Okay, but but here's the well, thing, guys. The, the, the ranking, this is the point about the rankings. The rankings are the top the way they ranked the top centermen in the league right now. Okay. I I don't know. Like, okay. So the ranking based on long-term is it based on just for what they're expected to do on the ice this season? I I would, I would say they just think the the one is a better player now. 
the better player today. Okay. All right, go I, would to, take, I would take Matthews over. Okay. All right, go to number six. And Jack, and Jack Eichel at number six is right behind him, and he's an exciting player. I, I'm, I'm amazed at what he's been able to accomplish considering the lack of talent around him on a team that, that rarely qualifies for the playoffs and kind of got screwed with the playoffs last year, I might add. Uh, but, yeah, straight up, um, uh, Jack Eichel, I think, is a, a more exciting and dominant player than Ryan O'Reilly. I'd take him. Okay, I would not take at this at this stage. I would not take Eichel over O'Reilly. I just think that the, I, I just think the abstract. Uh, what Riley brings in so many different aspects of this game uh, is far too important at this stage. I would take O'Reilly. Okay, all right, number seven, Tim. And and, and this is where, with the exception of one, who's nine on the list, this is where my list ends of what I take this guy over O'Reilly because none of the players ranked, excuse me, only one of the players ranked seventh or higher would I take over Ryan O'Reilly. And Patrice Bergeron for Boston is number seven, and and it's not him. Nope. Uh, As much as I despise Patrice Bergeron and wish we were playing 1980s hockey so we could have his butt handed to him, uh, I got to be honest with you, boys. Make it happen. Yes, I would take Patrice Bergeron over Ryan O'Reilly. Patrice Bergeron is helped out by a certain Mr. Marchand and Pasternak for his point production, and I wonder what his point production would be if he were playing with Mr. Schwartz and Hoffman, who are excellent players, but they're not Pasternak and Marchand. When we start doing left wings and white wings, let me know. <laughs> Number eight is no, Evgeny no. But Malkin. listen, listen, guys. I don't. All right, I don't. Patrice Bergeron has put up some pretty doggone amazing numbers. I mean, to me, and the fact that he's he's consistently been a thirty goal scorer on the bunch too. Um, that that one is far closer of a push than anything uh, than anyone to me. So right now we'd have to have him tied there in that seventh spot. Another guy long in the tooth entering his 17th year uh, in the league, I might add, three first run. Uh, another guy a bit long in the tooth, Evgeny Malkin of Pittsburgh. No way no. would I trade Ryan O'Reilly for him. Nope. No, I, I, I enjoy the, uh, Malkin's best years, but those are behind him. Okay, number nine. The, this is the last guy that I would trade Ryan O'Reilly for straight up one-on-one. He's dynamic. He's exciting. I realize he also played with a couple of superstars around him, but Braden Point for Tampa Bay was a monster in the Stanley Cup playoff run they had last year. He's been a terrific player every year he's been in the league. He's a he's a blazer. Uh, it reminds me a tad of, of Steve Eiserman in his heyday. I mean, he's, he is uh, a terrific player, and he's nine this year. And I'll tell you what, his number's going to go up in the next couple of years in this ranking and this annual ranking. I don't have a problem with that one. Yeah, right. I mean, so what? What Point did in the playoffs last year would uh, would either have to be a push or yes for uh, for Braden Point. No okay, question. so Tim, rattle through ten through fourteen for us uh, since uh, since NHL.com had Ryan O'Reilly fifteenth. Okay, ten is Mika Zibanehad for the Rangers. Eleven is Alexander Barkov from Florida. Twelve is Mark Scheifele from Winnipeg. Thirteen is Sebastian Aho from Carolina, and fourteen is John Tavares from Toronto. Okay, so the kid from the Rangers um, is, is, a, uh, is a is a solid overall player who I enjoy, and um, I would certainly have him ranked high, but not ahead of O'Reilly. 
I would but not I have. A guy. Sorry, I, I think he is a guy. I think he is a guy that deserves to be ranked a little bit higher than uh, than many, but not a, not ahead of O'Reilly. No. Okay. Barkov, no way. No, I I, I am not taking Zabinajad, Barkov, Shifley, Aho, or Tavares over O'Reilly today, right now. And I'm going to tell you something. I think that. So, look. In terms of skill and impact they can have on a game, Dreisaitl, I mean, can just be absolutely dominant, no doubt about it. If I'm looking for a potential franchise centerman, there's no doubt that he's there. But if I look at this list, and again, NHL.com had Ryan O'Reilly ranked 15th. If we redid this list, he's somewhere around 7 or 8 for yeah. for us, the, the three of us when we did this, all right? But... I'd even make the case that Ryan O'Reilly right now is a better centerman in the National Hockey League than Leon Dreisaitl. Okay? Ryan O'Reilly is a better centerman in the National Hockey League than Austin Matthews. I think Ryan O'Reilly and and Chris Bergeron, to me, or not Chris, I I went the old Miami of Ohio uh, coach on that one, and Patrice Bergeron are are a push. I think O'Reilly is a better centerman than, than Evgeny Malkin. So to me, I've got probably Ryan O'Reilly somewhere closer to to five or six because I mean Ryan O'Reilly is even a better centerman right now in the National Hockey League than Jack Eichel. Ryan O'Reilly is a better all-around centerman than those guys in my book. Well, and the guy that that shocked me is behind O'Reilly that I think should be listed way higher on this list because still better, still more than a point-per-game player. I realize he's not the 60-goal man he was early in his career, but Steven Stamkos could be ranked 17th in centers in the National Hockey League. you got to be kidding. Yeah, it's well, it. interesting. I'll throw one more name in there because while I would have him ranked below Ryan O'Reilly, I'm a big Aho guy. I would have him in my top 10. I mean, that kid is he is incredibly skilled. Incredibly skilled. Aho would be in my top 10 one or two spots beneath O'Reilly, but that's the other one that sort of caught my eye in their rankings. See, the, the, the challenge with rankings like this is, look, I, I know the excitement that these guys bring, Dreisaitl and, 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 and Austin Matthews and Eichel and them, right? But from an all-around hockey player standpoint, when you're talking about the best center, not the most prolific, not the most exciting, not the most flashy, the best center, centerman in the league, the all-around game that you ask a centerman to play, right? Ryan O'Reilly is a better centerman than Leon Dreisaitl and Jack Eichel and Austin Matthews from that standpoint. You know, and and now, the moment that those guys figure out the defensive side of that position, we could be talking a different story, but that hasn't happened. All right, but just, okay, I'll I'll take that, but let's just be honest. You would love to be able to yell out the name Aho several times a game. <laughs> we had a player in the minors named Yuha Yalonen, and every time he'd score a goal, I'd yell Yahoo Yuha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quickly, last thing on on this uh, on, on this uh, rankings thing, John. Another another one you wanted to take to task was ESPN's ranking of their top 100 players and a guy that wasn't in the top 100. Yeah, no, I we have discussed this before on the show. I believe that Pareko. He's a top 20 defenseman. I don't think he's a top – I don't think right now, based on his cachet, that he's a top 10, top 15 defenseman. I don't. I think he has the potential to be a top 
a, a top six defenseman in this league. He has huge upside. But what I do know is that there's not 100 players better in this league. And when I took a gander at ESPN's top 100 players, there were two things that caught my eye. Hellebuck is not the 11th best player in the league. Hey, the guy's won. He's won the most. Remember, specifically, he's won the most games over the last three years of any Western Conference goalie. Not saying is not disrespecting him. He's just not the 11th best player in the NHL. And the other thing was how you could possibly put together a top 100 and leave Pareko out. I don't get it. I don't. I just don't get it. Well, NBC, NBC Sports did a top 100 as well, and, and Pareko did sneak in there at 91. But, you know, even when you look at the NHL.com site of the top 20 defense in the league, for them to list, you know, Miro Heiskanen uh, in there ahead of, of Pareko, I mean, I realize he's a he's a dazzling player at times, but, I mean, would you trade Colton Pareko for Miro Heiskanen? Um, no. Break. No, not right now. But, oh, boy, that's a heck of a young – See, Haskinen's I mean, I mean, a heck I mean, of a player, man. Top twenty. Would you trade him for? Would you trade him right now for Eric Carlson? Would you trade him no. for a You know, Brent Burns. No, I no. Uh, listen, understand this right now, okay? Colton Pareko is a de- better defenseman than Eric Carlson. I know Eric Carlson's got the offensive ability and the wheels and all that stuff, okay? But when Eric Carlson was winning the Norris Trophy, same thing with PK Subban when he won the Norris Trophy. Neither one of them were penalty killing. How does the Norris Trophy winner win a Norris Trophy and when they don't penalty kill? The, 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 the name of the award is the best defenseman in the league, and you're not defending at the time when it's well, the hardest to defend. Right. I mean, they're, they're basing their rankings on points. They're basing it on offensive, you know, productivity. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's just all about, it's all about the points. So no matter how good your team is, what your plus minus is, you know, how good you are in the PK. They're, they're basing it all on offense on these rankings. Okay, so I do agree with you though, Curbs, on the Rangers kid. In fact, if you're if you're in what I'm going to reference as the East, albeit not this year, but the East long term, you better get the Rangers now. And if you're in the West long term, you better get the Ducks now. Because some of the talent coming up in those two organizations could be all could be could be shifting power. Yeah, in the very near future. Yeah, and you know what? The LA Kings might turn things around if some of their young yeah, talent yeah. sprouts. They've got a heck of a of, of, of a young group in there as well. All right, listen, we got to get to our our uh, our bourbon of the week, which could also be a whiskey or a scotch, uh, depending on what it is. And we've got to get to our barn burner of the week as well here. But before we do, a couple other quick topics to look forward to next week, folks. The 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 Springfield Thunderbirds of the American Hockey League, who is going to be the Blues affiliate, they did not. Uh, they decided not to play this season and the impact on the St. Louis Blues. Tim's got experience in that front. We're going to get into that one in some real good detail next week as the Blues are getting to their season opener. Um, on the the other side of things, too, the, the Blues have to decide who's going to be on their taxi squad, as does every single team in the NHL. What do you do with a player like uh, Perunovic? What do you do with a player like Mikola? How do you decide taxi squads? That's coming up next week as the rosters will be finalized uh, to go there as well. So, Tim, before we uh, wrap it up, let's get to our barn burner of the week. Uh, right in the bus, barn burner, what do you got for us this week? Now, this is one where I'm not going to be able, for obvious reasons, to name the player, okay? But this this is the story of how one player decided to retire from professional hockey uh, during my 10 years in the minor league. Uh, on a road trip, 
this player, who, by the way, never played in the NHL, uh, he was a tough guy. He was a fighter. And uh, on a road trip, he went out one night and got drunk. And he came back to the hotel, and his hotel key would not work. It was one of these Super 8-style hotels where you had, like, the window in the door, and you actually had to stick the physical key in the lock. You know, it wasn't like the slide-the-card type hotels that you see now. So his key's not working, and so he decides to punch the square window on this door to try and reach in and unlock the door from behind. Well, there was a couple, a young couple in this room. Uh, it turns out the player had the room number right, but he was at the wrong hotel and scared the death out of this couple who called 911, and the player was arrested and spent the night in jail. Uh, the next day, the team bus departed without him, unbeknownst as to where he was, and drove six hours away to where they were playing their next game that next night. And when the head coach finally got a call from the player in jail, they had to they had to wire money to the home team that the city where the player got arrested was in. And then that remember that front office had to go down and bail the guy out of jail. Then they had to they wired him additional money for them to help the guy rent a car so he could drive the car six hours to where their next game was. Uh, during that road trip. Uh, the player decided to pick up some more booze and was drinking on the drive and wrecked the car into a tree in a forest off of a highway, totaled the car and didn't tell anybody, hitchhiked to a bus station and took the bus back to Canada and retired. <laughs> that is your that is your barn burner of the week right there. <laughs> You know what? That's when you say, wait a minute, I'm fighting for a living in the minor leagues and I've just gone through, I'm done, back to the border like, and here you know, we go. I, I haven't been divorced and Chris hasn't been divorced, but somebody on this show has been divorced. And I got to assume, John, it's, it's kind of like that moment when you say, do I still want to do this or not? Oh, no, no, it was really all her choice when she just said get out. <laughs> I mean, I... I mean, I, there was. I met anybody getting divorced. You know, any, anybody, whether it's your decision, her decision, who's ever. You, you, you just have that come to moment where you say, "Enough's enough." Yeah, but you never really know until you go through it and you find out. You mean I got to wash my own clothes? I got to make my own food? It sucks. I know it. Tell me about it. Said the guy who's been single for fifty-one years. I hate it. <laughs> All right, guys, I've got I've got a bourbon of the week for you here. Darren Pang, as a Christmas gift uh, this year, gave me a bottle of Bib and Tucker bourbon. Spectacular. It is full. It, it It's not overly smoky. It's got amazing flavor. And then the aftertaste you get out of it is even better. The reality of it is, too, and you look at it, and I want you to think about this. This thing, it's a, it's a 92-proof bourbon. It's called Bib and Tucker. It, it's a 92-proof bourbon. A lot of bourbons... When you're talking about the alcohol content being there, right? And okay, and we're talking this in very basic, non-expert forms here. Normally, you expect it to have a little bit of kick, right? A little sizzle, a little bit of bite to it. This is—it is some of the fullest non-bite, non-kick bourbon I've ever. Had. I'm telling you, this has easily moved into my top three or four, uh, and and I have absolutely loved it to the point that I went out and got another bottle already. So the Christmas gift is gone. Uh, I had to re get a new one, so uh, so I have it when more people come by going, man, you got to try this one. 
And so uh, so our recommendation for you of the week, you want to try something you haven't tried, go grab yourself a bottle of Bib and Tucker. It's it's outstanding. How many, how many now, now, that, uh, could, now that Woodburn's brought up my divorce, I think I may be going out for <laughs> five minutes for some Bib and Tucker. <laughs> how many shots of Bib and Tucker can a guy Darren Pang size take before it's uh, four times? I mean, um, it's, uh, that's, I didn't know Darren. I know Panger was a bourbon guy. Well, you know what? Uh, well, no, he has actually. We have so this is this is what's led to it not only being a part of the podcast, what we do. So when we when we're on some flights and we don't have to drive home, say when we land in St. Louis, so we're flying in between cities and we're getting on a bus. Last couple of years, what we would do is we'd grab ourselves uh, a bottle of something we haven't tried. I'd bring one or he'd bring one. And then we'd, we'd get on the plane, and, and after a game or something like that, you, you'd pour some samples. And, and it, was, it was really good. Then we realized, okay, Alexander Steen really likes to, to try this stuff. So does, you know, so does O'Reilly and, and some others. Next thing you know, what we've basically done is it, it's a sample for a bunch of people because the bottle's gone in a hurry, right? And you've only put about two fingers in the glass for, for each guy. But it, it's kind of like its own special kind of you know, bourbon, whiskey, and scotch club where we, we try to bring something maybe we haven't tried before. Here, try this one, and, and and it's become a bit of a thing we do on the road now. So it's it's kind of been a lot of fun, but that, that one is definitely on the top of the list now, this Bib and Tucker bourbon. It's outstanding. You know, and, and, and speaking of Ryan O'Reilly, and I'll end with this, uh, can we give him a better nickname than the Factor? I, he was referred to as Factor by one of his teammates in the Post-Dispatch story today, and, you know, he's obviously got that nickname after Bill O'Reilly, whose show used to be called the O'Reilly Factor. Well, Bill O'Reilly got kicked off the air for sexual harassment. Can we get something better for Ryan O'Reilly than Factor? Yeah, but once you have the cancel, the cancel culture can't kill your, I was about to say the cancel culture can't kill your nickname, and then I just thought about a bunch of teams' nicknames where it did. So I take that whole comment back, and I'll erase that thought. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And by the way, before everybody gets their panties in a bunch, I'm not saying I'm in complete disagreement with some of those nicknames uh, moving on. I mean, I went to Miami of Ohio when the team was named the Redskins. I have no problem with the fact that they are the Red Hawks, and it hasn't changed one iota. So I'm perfectly fine with it and agree with it on that one. But I I just found myself walking into one heck of an ironic cyclone right there. Boys, it's been another (laughs) great week. Thank you very much. I love talking hockey with you, some bourbon and some stories as well. We'll do it again next week as the Blues kick off their season against the Colorado Avalanche and a whole bunch of uh, news eventually starts to break around the National Hockey League as every team gets underway. Have a good one, boys. Have a great one. More episodes to drop. It is Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners with Tim Wurber, John Hadley. I'm Chris Kerber. Have a great week. More episodes coming your way.